Well, welcome all you wiretappers back here in the studio of Gangland Wire. Got two guests today. Got Johnny Ciccatelli and James Jimmy Naples from Youngstown, Ohio. Welcome, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Gary. Appreciate it. Now, I talked to Johnny before about Youngstown, and, and he did this limited series podcast. And, and today we're going to talk a little more about another podcast that he's working on and, and some live events he's been doing in Youngstown. It's kind of interesting. I've never done a live event. I did a mafia film festival with another guy. We had about three different mob films that we showed, documentaries. And and there's a huge, a huge, huge interest in those mob film festival or mob films and and you're bringing the live people in to talk so we're going to learn a little more about that and then we're going to learn a little bit more about this horrible bombing that happened in 1962 they they bombed this guy named charlie caballero senior and he had his two sons what 12 year old or 11 year old charlie caballero jr and, and his brother who was about a year older and you've talked to him and one child was killed and Charlie was killed. Just, you know, we never had anything like that. I don't know if I've heard anything like that in the other rest of the United States. Have you? No, well, I, well, I did research on that very question and I couldn't find anything. The closest thing you can come up with was, remember the Untouchables movie they did with Costner and, and yeah. Sean Connery. The opening scene is a child killed in a bombing. And, you know, it's, but I haven't, I wasn't able to find any recorded history of, of that happening. Yeah, so. even any accidental, you know, you know, somebody shooting at somebody and missed them and hit their wife or their brother or their child or anything like that. They, the, the mob is usually pretty well targeted, and that's that's really unusual. That's the thing about bombs is is they like to set them off by remote control usually so they can see who's around, and, and that way you won't have any collateral damage. And are they really sure when the guy gets in the car and starts it, there's nobody else in there? That's well, been that's the not, case here. That's not the de the definition of a Youngstown tune-up is the dynamite <laughs> under your hood. So it's, <laughs> yeah. you know, it, it's it, under the seat, under the the, the car itself. You, you know, in this case, the Cavallero bombing. How many sticks was it, Jim? Was I mean, it? I thought he said it was like twelve sticks. Ten to twelve sticks of dynamite. Twelve sticks. It was. It was crazy. It was. It was, it was overkill. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and it really, it really was the end of a vendetta. Two year vendetta you know it wasn't even so much a turf war mafia turf war as you think yeah. it was the it was the end result of a vendetta and you know we we went through a lot of the history the last time you interviewed me when we talked about it was i believe your episode was called crooked city you know the interview or crooked city youngstown because we were talking about the podcast that i i was a producer on crooked city with from mark smirling very proud of that. You guys can check that out. That's out there anywhere you download podcasts. But we, you and I talked about the history of the 1960s last time. And, you know, that sparked more interest in me after that conversation. And Jim, Jim and I got to work and we said, you know, let's, let's, let's do an ep entire episode or entire thing on the Cavalero you know, case or one of these, one of these big cases. So at the same time, Jim started off the, the Facebook group. Young, yeah. Youngstown Mob, tell them about that. Yeah, so we, we started Youngstown Mob a little over a year ago. And it was kind of a kickoff to what Johnny had done, Crooked City Podcast. And I said, you know, hey, we should capitalize on this. We have a lot of people in town that are still interested in this. You know, why aren't, why aren't we doing something about it? So I created the Youngstown Mob Group. And 
now we have 31,000 members. It's, you know, it's, it's grown leaps and bounds. And that's caused us to start our own podcast, Youngstown Mob Talk. And, you know, it was, it was great. People love the episodes that we were putting out, people we were talking to and the things we were doing. And so then Johnny and I said, well, you know, let's take this further. And we started doing live shows. Our first live show was last February at the Robbins Theater. And it was just a nice overview of Youngstown Mob. We talked to some, you know, some associates, things like that. And, it, you know, it was a really great show. We sold that show out. 1,400 people showed wow. up to, to that event. You know, just come see it. So they, we, you know, put Youngstown Mob Talk on the, vent, on the, the marquee and people really showed up. And so we actually wanted to follow that up with another, another big show. And this past November, uh, last month, we did one at the Stambaugh Auditorium, which is a historic venue in Youngstown. And it's on Youngstown's north side. Well, that's the same part of town where Charlie Cavallero's just a few blocks away. And through this Youngstown mob group, things happened organically for us, Gary, where people joined that group. He mentioned 31,000 people in just over a year. Among them were an FBI agent who worked the Cavallero bombing case, the last living FBI agent we were able to find who worked that case. And then we saw a name that we recognized, you know, right off the bat when we, we see all those names. Anytime all 31,000 people that join that group, we've seen, you know, the members yeah. and who they are. I might just so, say way. <laughs> Cavallero, you know, to see the name Charlie Cavallero, at first I thought, well, is this really Charlie? Or is this somebody just creating one of these fake yeah. accounts? And no, it's, it was actually the surviving son. As you mentioned, Charlie Cadillac, Charlie Cavallero, the gangster was the target of a Youngstown tune-up of a car bombing in 1962. His two young kids were in the car with him. It was the day after Thanksgiving. He was taking them to football practice. It was ten, young 11-year-old, between 10 and 11, Tommy Cavallero and Charlie Cavallero Jr., a year older. And Charlie went to go get his helmet, something, for, something to bring back to the car. His father and his brother were already in the car. He turned the key and blew up. Charlie, Charlie Jr. survived horrific injuries. His hip was blown away. Doctors said, you know, people said he would never walk again. And he proved them all wrong. He, you know, he's had multiple hip replacements, but he's in multiple surgeries, but he's lived a good life. He wasn't able, you know, he was able to work his whole life. And you know, as, as family and as and kids now, his own is about to be a grandfather himself. So, you know, Charlie's an amazing person, inspiring person. So when he joined our group, we thought, oh, you know, I didn't know what to think, to be honest. But we struck up a conversation and friendship with Charlie through the through the what we posted and messages and everything. It turns out he was a fan of what we're doing, Youngstown Mob Talk and talking about it. Yeah. Fan of the podcast and all those things. And in 61 years, he's never talked about it. He's never, he's never told the story. He said all the big news organizations, media organizations, reached out to him over the years to, to tell the story. And he, was, he never wanted to tell the story. And I asked him, you know, foolishly, sheepishly, I don't know, but if he, would, if he would talk to us about it. And he said yes. And so we thought, okay, we just did this big event in February, kind of an introduction to, you know, Youngstown Mob Talk, what it is. Let's do another event 
Stambaugh Auditorium, and we called it CAVBOM, which was the FBI's investigation, what they called their investigation of the case. And we brought Charlie back to town, back to the north side. We, we went through it. We walked through his old house. He stood on the, on the, the, the spot where his garage used to stand and told me about it and everything. And we did a lot of filming with him and, and shot a lot of things like a, a documentary that we're going to put out. But we also brought Cecil Moses, the last living FBI agent who worked that case, who was, who came down from Cleveland after Bobby Kennedy ordered all the FBI agents to come to Youngstown and investigate the Cavalero case. We heard all the sides of the law enforcement. We heard the sides of Charlie and, and what it was like growing up before and after that bomb. Just an amazing night. And we really traced the roots and the history of why that happened. And it happened, the beginnings of it was two years earlier in a vendetta when one guy was killed and then it sparked a war that several guys killed in succession in brutal fashion, car bombings, shotguns, you know, you name it, innocent bystanders were killed. Sadly, Tommy Cavallaro wasn't the only innocent bystander killed in this war. Sandy Naples' girlfriend, Marianne Vrancic, was also struck down. When they killed Sandy with shotguns, they killed her as well. So all told, about eight or nine people were dead in this two-year span in Youngstown, 1960. 1962, and it all ended with the Cavallaro car. And that so, was the end. So now, was this was this more connected to La Roca and Pittsburgh, or was this more connected to Cleveland, or neither? Neither. neither? Okay. Neither. So, so what we found out through a lot of the research that we did, my great uncle Sandy Naples, his his group that he ran, he he basically ran his own faction. He wasn't. You know, he had connections to Pittsburgh and they even had some connections up in Cleveland, but they were their own family at Youngstown, right? And so you had you had the Cleveland group, which Cavallaro was a part of, you know, pushing in into Youngstown. And then of course you had the old timers, Jimmy Prado and and those guys from Pittsburgh that Big were Dom. and Big Dom, you know, Malamo, those guys from Pittsburgh that were kind of pushing. And there was a meeting held three days before Sandy was killed between guys from Cleveland and guys from Pittsburgh, where they determined that Sandy refused to kick up any money to any of the, to either side. And so they determined the only thing that they could do was kill him. And so then, so then three days later, he was gunned down on his girlfriend's front porch as he arrived from leaving the center sandwich shop, which was about a mile away. From he was gunned down. With him. Yeah. So, so that was the genesis of this that ends yeah. in, the killing yeah. of Cavalera. That, that, that was the beginning. Because then after they, of course, after they kill Sandy and his girlfriend, the next one to go is, of course, Vince De Niro, who was aligned with Charlie Cavalero in Cleveland. Yeah. And then after him, it was Billy. Billy Naples. Billy Naples. He gets blown up in uh, in 62, earlier part of 62 in July. There's a few other bombings, shootings, and people killed him in between. And and then eventually it's and then eventually it winds up with, with the Cavalero. Yeah. So the Naples faction now, what was their kind of profit center, if you will? Gambling or yeah, it was, labor it racketeering? Was, what was their profit center? Theirs was gambling numbers. Funny little story. A, a friend of ours owns owns a liquor store here in town. 
And he told me, he said, you know, back in the early 80s, when your Uncle Joey and your grandfather used to come and pick up, you know, cases of wine to give away parties and all that. He goes, they pay with this dirty old money. <laughs> and he goes, I looked at it and he goes, it was bills from the 40s and the 50s. He goes, but they were still using that money in the 80s. You know, <laughs> that's how much money they were supposedly making back then. <laughs> They, they, they were the, Sandy was a big policy king at that okay. point. He was big, the number, big in the numbers and uh, as others, other stuff as well. They expanded. Other uh, this is a quintessential mafia story in that you've got a real successful policy operator that doesn't really want to kick up. The mafia finds out about him and they say, I'm, we get a piece of that action. You know, you, you handle all the business, but you just give us some just because we are who we are. That, that happened in Chicago. It happened in New York. It, it's happened everywhere. It's a quintessential. Mafia yeah. So story uh, there. Up, up to that, up to that point, up to 1960, it, Youngstown was pretty wide open. It was anybody's territory. Guys came from Buffalo. Joe DiCarlo came from Buffalo. He, he, he and a few local guys organized people together and they had, they, they kind of ran Youngstown for a little while, but he was forced out. Then this guy would come in, you know, guys came from Detroit and all over Cleveland, Pittsburgh, they all kind of planted roots in Youngstown and it didn't get hashed out until about 1960 huh. when they killed Sandy, his, his Jim's great uncle. So, you know, it, it was, it's kind of interesting. And, and like I said, from that event that we just did, that Cav Bomb show, we brought these families together. We brought the Naples family together, the Cavallero family together, you know, over a dozen people from families all in this room. We had dinner, we broke bread before. We had, had a, you know, we had a great musician come in from Vegas. It was a good huh. show. Huh. And we filmed that whole thing. We're going to put that out on a pay-per-view for Christmas time this year. So in case anybody wants to check that out, you know, follow us. Amazingpodco.com. The Amazing Podcast Company is our is our podcast company. That's Amazing Podco. You'll have links to to what we're doing and and pay per view and and all that stuff to watch that Capcom show. Yeah, and those that are on Facebook, they can always you know check us out in Youngstown right. Mob Group. Yeah, Come join the group. We have links to all our amazing podcast stuff. Is all there's links to that all in there. There will be a link to the uh, pay per view in there as well too. So. We know we know you get a lot of listeners. From Youngstown and from around that area, people love you, Gary. Yeah, you got the <laughs> gangland, the, the gangland wire. It's a, I've been a fan. I'm a wiretapper. I've been a fan for years. Yeah. <laughs> right, here we go with our lights. Here we go. Motion sensors. Motion sensor lights. Well, I appreciate I'll that. I, I, you know, I'm kind of the first guy that started any of these mafia podcasts back in whatever 2015, I think. So I, I appreciate that. I'll give you another little quick. Quick tidbit that we found doing in some of our research. So back in the early 60s, this is, uh, I believe this is after the Cavalero, let's say about 63 or 64. My Uncle Joey has an associate of his that builds these remote car starters. Yeah. And they were putting remote car starters in these cars back in the in the 60s. And he goes, these things, he goes, they were huge. They were like this big. Yeah. And they mounted up underneath the dash. You had this button that you would push it and start your car for you. But uh, Johnny and I were talking. We said, you know, wouldn't it be funny if those guys would have patented that? They would have. They would have been millionaires <laughs> you know, with that kind of a patent. But, yeah, interesting. Now you, now, now I was cool. just doing a story on St. Louis, and and they were talking about some bombing. There was this leisure war, and and these there was bombings going on between the Syrian mafia, Syrian mob guys, 
and they start wiring the bombs to the brake lights. <laughs> so <laughs> start remote starter wasn't that any good. As soon as you got right. in, you stepped on the brakes. We had one in Kansas City. We had the same kind of a war between the Spiro brothers. It was a vendetta and the Savella, Savella brothers. And they did one on Carl Spiro in which they put a mercury switch. It's like a little glass ampule of mercury and they get the mercury away and they put two wires into it with, and it's an open circuit, got a battery in the circuit, but it's open circuit until that mercury ampule is jostled just a little bit. So as soon as he opened the door on the car, it was going to go off. Now his nephew came out and saw something up underneath the car. They had lodged the bomb up underneath the driver's seat, but you could see just a little bit of it hanging out. And he walked around the car and he sees this wire coming out from under the car taped up against the side of the, the, the passenger door. So, <laughs> uh, you know, there's no place safe, is there, from these guys? <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, hey, if they, if they want to get you, they're going to get you. you know? Yeah. Cavallaro, Charlie Cavallaro, what, what was his main thing? Uh, and he was connected. He came in and was connected to Cleveland, or was he originally born in Youngstown and then throw in with these other guys? So, you know, through the research we've done and, and the, the filming that we did, we, we re really got to dive into that interesting guy, Charlie Cavallaro. You know, we made a joke that if it was, if the, they had mob baseball cards, Charlie's would have like four different teams that he played for on the ah, back. Yeah. He was traded. He was one of these guys who was traded. He came in, you know, I'll back it up to, I asked Charlie Jr., was your father known for in the mob? That same question kind of you asked there. And he said, well, you know, to get in the mob, there's two ways, right? You have to be a big earner or you have to do heavy work. He was never a big earner. Uh -oh. So Char Charlie Cavallaro Sr. did heavy work. He came into the country through New Orleans illegally, went up to Rochester, New York, where he had some acquaintances and family, mm -hmm. allegedly did some work in Rochester before he moved to through New York to in Buffalo to Pittsburgh. He was part of a crew the, of guys who killed a few of the Volp brothers in Pittsburgh. Caused a little war there, or you know, a retribution. A boss was killed. Pittsburgh boss was killed because of that. That move. The guys from the other brothers, Volk brothers, went to New York and complained to the commission. And this would have been what the thirties, nineteen thirty-one. Yeah, and so they went to the commission and they got their retribution. The commission called a meeting with that boss of Pittsburgh, John Bazzano. He went to New York to New York, thinking he was going in a, to have a dinner in his honor. And they all ice picked him and they left him out on the road at Brooklyn. After that happened, the guys that Charlie was with, they were going to get killed until Albert Anastasia, who Charlie had made friends with in his in his passings earlier through New York. Albert Anastasia sponsored him and another guy to join the family. I think it was uh, Nicole. Ola Gentile was the other guy. No, he went back to Italy. Because I know Gentile was involved. With, uh, but there was one one of them. Yeah. The other one stayed in Pittsburgh. One of the other guys, Nicola Gentile, went to Italy. Okay. I've heard that name. He, he wrote a book about his oh, time that, in the mob. That's why. I and it's all in Italian, so it's you know hard to, <laughs> hard yeah. to decipher. The, the guy who stayed in Pittsburgh, Charlie Cavallaro, went to New York, went under Albert Anastasia and the Mangano family. 
at that time. The guy who stayed in Pittsburgh was killed shortly thereafter. So after he goes to the, and he's with Albert Anastasia, he ends up going to do some work for Detroit. Hey. Comes down through Cleveland, settles in Youngstown. So uh-huh. he was traveling, and the government was always trying to deport him. Even at the end of his life, the government was trying to deport him because they came in illegally, and they couldn't pinpoint the year that he came in. And I believe it was, you know, he was trying to tell them he came in in 1921, and they they thought they were saying it was 24. So they were trying to deport him all the way up to the end. But yeah, he he really did travel. He said, but he set his roots in Youngstown. You know, married later in life, had his kids. You know, Charlie was sixty years old when he was killed. He had an eleven, a ten, eleven year old in the car with him. So he was an interesting character, an interesting guy. Like we said, he was never a big earner. He had pool halls, and you know, supposedly ran Barboot, which is a, a dice game. Oh, okay. You know, originally a Turkish dice game. Yeah, I don't know that. That the Greeks brought. You got to do a whole episode on Barboot. <laughs> really? Uh-huh. It's, it's a game that got controlled by the Italians in Ohio from Cleveland to Youngstown. They ran Barboot games where, you know, what's the line from Crooked City? If you ever wanted to break a man without killing him, just introduce him to the game of Barboot. Hmm. And he, it was any gambler you know, high stakes real fast and they'd hustle you. They'd get you because it's you playing against another guy usually. And then the house takes kind of everything. So mm-hmm. eventually the house takes everything, but bar boot was, you know, big money maker for the mob and Youngstown gambling in general, not just the lottery and the policy gambling in general, in Youngstown widely accepted people. Now that it's legal, they just legalized it this year, sports betting, it's the kind of town where everybody, you know, it, it took off. People love it, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's we we had a conversation the other day in our in our mob group about uh, about gambling and the old steam sheets and things like that. You know, guys were talking about it. They said, you know, there's still some of them guys around because what's one thing you can't do with the government? He goes, that's bet on credit. He goes, yeah. they don't take any credit. He goes, so you still got some of those guys around. <laughs> but uh, but I remember as a kid, man, we used to get the steam sheets i used to get them every week mm-hmm. you know eight-year-old kid and i'm over here picking teams going <laughs> yeah am i gonna win something and there's like a know, parlay card yeah big different games you know, yeah 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 and you know they had the four for 20 you get hit four you get 20 bucks then it is like 10 it was like 101 <laughs> or something you the, know the guys the guys from youngstown even all the way through the 90s were very famous for casinos you know they had the all-american casino they called it here in youngstown which at the end of the 80s, the 1980s was bringing in, the FBI said, 20 million a year throughout the 80s. <laughs> so, you know, they were they were involved in an, an Indian casino in, in San Diego. It was, you know, gambling is a big Youngstown tradition. It goes all the way back to the Cavaleros in the Naples of the 40s. And we, you know, we used to have, I can remember as a kid, you know, you'd have stag parties. You know, somebody in the family would be getting married, they'd throw a stag party and you know, somebody, somebody that was connected to somebody, you come in the house, and there's roulette table over in the corner, there's craps uh, over here, there's poker over here, you know. <laughs> you know, they ran every stag. Yeah, but you know, those uh, steam sheets, as you call them, the parlay cards, I have my own story here. My son, when he was probably a freshman, sophomore maybe, he had this other buddy 
whose dad was a big gambler who started getting would getting parlay cards, I guess, and he's giving them to his kid, who's then giving them to my kid. Scott bringing them home. He's like picking these things. I said, "Where'd you get that?" He said, "Oh, Eddie got that for me." I said, you I said man." <laughs> I just said, "Don't tell me anymore." I know Eddie's dad got it for you. Yeah, <laughs> Eddie's dad got him for me. <laughs> yep. Just keep that away. <laughs> Funny. Yeah, the this town goes back. I mean, I remember. My grandfather, you know, eventually, eventually they made the lottery legal, right? In 74 in, in, in Ohio, I believe. My grandfather still called it the bug till the day he died. And, and in Youngstown, it was a unique name for it. They, you know, it was known as the bug yeah. around town. And they, the, the cops would bust guys, numbers runners, and they'd call them bug runners. And, you know, the whole town just knew it as the bug. Like I said, it, it, it was, you know, so Sandy... You know, they were kings of the bug, him and Vince De Niro in the 1950s before, Interesting. before the mob knocked them off. Well, yeah, they were some of the, from some of the FBI records that we got back in like the late 50s and early 60s, some of these places were bringing in like 30 grand a month. And if, you know, if you equate that to today's money, about $284,000. Yeah. So, you know, they were bringing in tons and tons of money. Which brings up another question I want to ask you. You found a lot of FBI reports and, I, and that PDF you sent me had a lot of FBI reports. So what did you learn about the FBI's investigation? How how effective were they? And how, it looked like they really never solved anything, which is pretty common in, in mob stuff, unless you really get lucky, especially back well, then. Yeah, well, they did. They did. They really, you know, they spent about two years and they if they came to the conclusions that you know, the mob took care of its own. <laughs> a lot of interesting things. Having Cecil Moses, the retired FBI agent, available to, to, to tell us about these, you know, documents, and explain certain things, you know, like a technical informant. I learned that, you know, the technical informant is, that's just the wire he's sitting there, right? You know? <laughs> that's the so, off the books wire, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's diff the different informants and the different everything else. But what was really interesting, the most interesting thing I think from the FBI files was the agent in charge, a guy named Stanley Peterson. He was would go on to become the the what is it, the SAC there, I guess, but he I don't know if he was ever SAC, but he was he was in charge of the Cavalero case, and he was there for 20 years in Youngstown, signed in 20 for 20 years in one town. It was by his doing, and you know, he wanted to be there. He started a relationship with a guy who became an informant for him in the 1950s. Friendship between him and this guy, and by the 60s, this guy was offered. He was an Italian guy. He was offered induction into the local mob. Peterson writes a letter to J. Edgar Hoover, and he tells him about this guy. And in the, the letter, Peterson states that the, the guy also said, quote, my brothers are members, and I don't want any part of it. I don't like the guy that runs it, Big Don Malamo, he's talking about, this local guy. And he didn't want any part of it. Well, J. Edgar Hoover writes a letter back to Peterson, the agent, and he says, use your persuasion techniques, and if, if the offer comes up again, persuade him to take it. And sure enough, you know, a few more months go by and he does. And they get a mole. They 
They get this guy tells them how they did the induction ceremony in the in a basement in Camel, Ohio, which is right outside of Youngstown. And it was eye-opening to me because there's something you have to understand as well. The FBI also figured this out that the town wasn't run, Youngstown wasn't run that time by Cleveland or Pittsburgh. It was split between Italians of two different backgrounds, Sicilians and the Calabrese. And they worked together. They never really fought, these guys. They were intertwined. Some, you had some Calabrese and some Sicilian members of Pittsburgh. You had some Calabrese and some Sicilian members of Cleveland. So it was very much intertwined. But Youngstown, since it wasn't under the rule of a family, was under the rule of you know the, the, these local group, these, these guys, Big Don Malamo and his nephew, Briar Hill, Jimmy Prado, they ran a club, a, a local social club, and all these guys, these Italian guys, all were you know, select members. And a lot of these guys were made within their own little family because they would go and take them to the, the, an old retired mobster named Romeo and old Paul and Mike Romeo's, they, they were the kind of, you know, retired originators of the Calabrese there, and they would make them, you know, just in the Cal- being Calabrese. Mm. So, you know, we always thought Cleveland or Pittsburgh, well, you, this guy was made in Cleveland, this guy was yeah. made in Pittsburgh, but there was a whole faction, the whole groups there in Youngstown that were just kind of unchecked and on, you know, I don't know who they reported to, to be honest. So they all eventually by 1960, as we mentioned, they all gathered and decided that Sandy Naples had to go. And again, that is what started this war, this vendetta. And over two years, it crippled, you know, that, that whole society almost uh, in Youngstown. And Youngstown became Cleveland family, really took over parts, and Pittsburgh took over parts. And that's the way it got divided from there. So it's an interesting history of it. And that, that's, I, I think a lot of that was what surprised me the most from the FBI files was they had a top echelon informant and, you know, a guy who was a made member there in Youngstown. Yeah, that is and, interesting. And then learning that, how they were breaking down between those other families. I've never heard that anyplace else before. And, and it yeah. makes sense, too. It's those yeah. uh, ties back to the old country were, were still huge. And even in 1960, they were still huge. It hadn't been that long since a lot of people came over from there. Absolutely. And, you know, a lot of the guys, the Sicilians that were involved behind the, the push from Cleveland becomes, that's Jack Licavoli, Jack White, they called him. Mm-hmm. He ends up becoming eventually by the 70s, the boss of Cleveland. So he's a very powerful figure. His group was pretty powerful. And they were kind of behind some of the push to get rid of Sandy because, again, I told we, we told you that Sandy Naples in the 1950s was a policy king along with his, his friend, Vince De Niro. But at the end of the 1950s, De Niro fell under the Cleveland faction. Cleveland, you know, those guys tied to Cleveland. And Sandy wouldn't join, wouldn't join up. And so that was kind of the beginning there. So. You know, definitely interesting stuff. And, and, you know, we learned so much. What do you think? Jim? What was the craziest thing you learned? You know, I, it, it was nice to kind of figure out exactly what was going on in those days because, you know, you hear so many different things. 
you know, when you finally sit down and do the research to find out that, you know, my uncle basically running his own family is trying to, it, it all broke down to them trying to control Youngstown, right? Because even after Cavallaro gets, gets killed, right? You have this meeting between Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and Youngstown, and you have the Pittsburgh guys, the Manorino brothers, Kelly Manorino to be specific. He tells the Cleveland guys that Joey's his guy in Youngstown. He sponsors you know, Sandy's he, young, youngest brother. Yeah, he mm-hmm. sponsors youngest, Joey Naples, and that's how Joey Naples gets his affiliation with the Pittsburgh Mafia and becomes their guy in Youngstown for them. He becomes a made man by mid-80s there. So it's, wow. <laughs> yeah, eventually one of the Naples brothers becomes a made man in that see, you know, yeah. family. Uh, that was, was going to uh, be my question. Were the Naples, were your family, were they from Sicily? And what, what was their origins? How, well, how, how did they line up historically with these other? Well, so our family is from, we're in between the heel and the boot in Italy. Neapolitan. Okay. <laughs> we're, we're from a little town called Colabraro. Sits up on top of the hill. I still have cousins that live there to this day, and it's it, like I say, it's weird. You think they would probably be more affiliated with the Enderengata over yeah, over right. in Italy? They're they're closer by location to to the to the Enderengata. Well, yeah, it's these guys all work together eventually. Yeah, and you know that was the main thing. Is yeah, there was disagreement there, but it wasn't over. You know, it's, it started over just not kicking up yeah you know wasn't so much the old vendetta the old where you're where they were from but because sandy had brothers his brothers and, and you know that well yeah story of kansas city you know that that's the brother of vendetta but you yeah, set out to kill one brother you better be ready to kill them all <laughs> yeah in this well and, and you know I, I remember as a kid I, I used to go with my grandfather I used to go out to eat he would he would meet one of the local judges and he always had a newspaper with him. And I could never figure out why when we met the judges, he was always giving the judge the newspaper. Well, that's how they were paying off all the judges is they'd pass it to one and then he'd disperse it to the rest of them. You know, but my grandfather was never, you know, he was never really like a bad guy or anything like that. He's the one you guys talked to the prior podcast. He went by Jinx. Oh, and yeah. he, you know, he was, uh, as far as I know, he was a made guy. There's hints that he may have been made in, Detroit and things like that, but nothing substantial that's ever proven it. But he was more of the brains behind everything, you know. He sat in the background and took care of the politicians, things like that. My dad used to tell me as a kid, we used to go to the local judge's house. They'd have, you know, Fourth of July cookouts and stuff over at the judge's house. Everybody'd meet with the judge over in the corner, and then it was back. It was just family time. We talked to Ed O'Neill, a famous Youngstown actor, Al Bundy, Al Bundy, and Jay Pritchett from Modern Family. We did a mob talk with Ed O'Neill and Ed, you know, the the judge that he's talking about, that's Ed's uncle. <laughs> what did Ed remember about his uncle? Anything? Oh, Ed, oh, Ed told us great stories. And 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 here's the craziest part. He was also the inspiration for Al Bundy, that character. So <laughs> that's a good one. That's a good story. Yeah. yeah. But uh, you know, there there's so much history there. It's it's unbelievable. And the, and the crazy thing is, Gary, we haven't even tapped. Like, we're just like on the surface, right? There's just so so many little intricacies and like, like crazy characters that stick out that have done crazy stuff around here for the mob. Yeah. That it's just like there's so many stories to tell. 
like you know we, we just scratched the surface with it you know we we're doing these live shows we did two in 2023 we have another one already booked at a big theater here the robbins theater in february coming up 2024 we've got that one we've got a it's a master class with a master burglar a guy named Emil denzio who he and his crew they rob Richard Nixon's bank out in Laguna Niguel, <laughs> stealing Jimmy Hoffa's money, all kinds of craziness. <laughs> we got a big show with him, but that's one of the characters that he's talking about. You know, there's so much history from all the way up to the end of the Youngstown mob, which was in the late 90s. You know, from the 1940s all the way up, the old chief of police in Youngstown from the 1940s was named Eddie Allen. He was one of the first anti-mob crusaders in this country. Hmm. And he wrote a book after spending a couple of years in Youngstown. He wrote a book called The Merchants of Menace. Hmm. And it was all about the mob and its history and Jim's great uncle and everybody else. <laughs> and in this book, I mean, he goes on to talk about, you know, it's a very interesting read. He ends up getting hired by Francis Coppola and is an advisor on The Godfather. I mean, you know, Youngstown's kind of the, the characters that came out of this were involved right. in, in any of this is fascinating all, all the way up through the 1990s and 2000 where it ends with Jim traffic. I mean, it's insane. Yeah, it is. It there's, really there, is. You know, there's, there's links like, for example, like with my uncle Sandy's murder, the, one of the shotguns that was used to kill him was stolen from a Canton or a Canton police department armory. Right. Yeah. Well, in, in the, in the late fifties, there was, a tie between them and the Pittsburgh mob that were taking stolen guns that were stolen from a Canton armory and shipping yeah. them down to Cuba because uh -huh. they had the casinos of Cuba they were trying to protect. So there's, you know, Youngstown's kind of involved in, 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 in all of this stuff across the country. And it's just amazing. Every time we find something new, one, one of the weirdest, you know, uh, non sequiturs, one of the, one of the weirdest kind of coincidences in all those JFK files we came through, Jack Ruby's sister and brother lived in Youngstown. And there was, it was so random. Yeah, that is random. They lived, they lived like a block from one of the, one of the lottery houses that the Naples brothers ran. It had a, it had a that come out on the side street. But yeah, it was just crazy. All the different ties from all these different families across the country that kind of one way or another. There's something to lead back to Youngstown. Wow. I think it's because it was such a crossroads of, of mafia people or something. That it, it, it's exactly halfway between Cleveland and Pittsburgh, and it's halfway between Chicago and New York. So yeah. that was that was what made it a, you know, a traveling spot. And actually, the Licavolis came out of St. Louis at one time. St. Louis and Detroit, that's all mixed up in there, too. Yeah. Yep. They came up until they, they joined their cousins in Detroit, that's right. <laughs> there, there were Licavoli, St. Louis, Fats Alio, big Youngstown character, yeah. came from there, came from oh, St. Really? Louis. Oh, yeah. yeah. Those guys. So there's so much history to it, Gary, and it just <laughs> it scratched is. the surface, as he said. <laughs> right. Well, this has been great, guys. Run by again what people need to look for because you, you got so much going. It's hard for me to remember now. I was just, I was just fascinated listening. So run by for the guys to. So they can find out more about your work and, and what you're doing. All right. So for those of you that are on Facebook, you could find us in the Youngstown Mob Group on Facebook. 
You can check us out there. We have links to all our podcasts in there. For those of you that are on YouTube, you can go to youtube.com forward slash amazing podcast company, and you can find all our live shows, that all our shows that we tape live on there. All our podcasts, lots of old news footage, lots of old stuff like that too. Documentary I made, Youngstown Still Standing. That's all on that's all on the the YouTube site. And now we're we're available everywhere you get your podcasts. So, you know, download us wherever you get your podcasts, Youngstown Mob Talk. We also produce another podcast with Rick Perello and Vince Guerreri called the Vice Squad Podcast, which is more of a regional thing from Cleveland to Pittsburgh. That's out there as well, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, yeah, the big thing for us is Cav Bomb this summer, or I'm sorry, this summer, this Christmas will be out there on pay-per-view from our big event we just did. We got a lot of interest in our group, our Youngstown Mob group, and you know some in the Gangland Wire group as well. Just people asking, you know, where they can see it. And we said, well, we got to put it up online. So we filmed it. We're going to put it up online this Christmas. Okay. And yeah, just follow us and, and follow us, and you'll find the link. Yeah. All right, good, great guys. I really appreciate you coming on. This has been some some wonderful information that uh, really we don't know. You know, everybody knows everything about Gotti, it seems like, and and a lot about Al Capone and even Tony Accardo. But but this important segment of mob history is a lot of people don't know about it. And you guys are really doing a good job getting it out there to the folks. And and I Thank applaud you. your effort and I'll support you and, and promote you any way that I can. So guys, don't forget, I like to ride motorcycles. So watch out for your motorcycles when you're out there. And if you have a problem with PTSD and you've been in the service, go to the VA website and get that hotline number. If you got a problem with drugs or alcohol, go see a real deal made guy or originally was a made guy. I think Anthony Ruggiano He's down in Florida. He has a hotline number on his website or his YouTube page or probably both. Just, you know, like and subscribe and 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 check my friends out here, Johnny Ciccatelli and Jimmy Naples and Youngstown Mob and all that. It's just, you know, there's just so much mob information out there anymore that we're almost getting overwhelmed by it. <laughs> and, but these guys. So hopefully we bring you the new stuff. Yeah, we'll bring these stuff guys, you've never yeah, heard before. These guys have got the new stuff, right? They, they've got stuff you haven't heard before and it's it's interesting and it's. It really provides a lot of insight into that part of our culture that that we all have come out of. I really appreciate y'all tuning in, and thanks, guys, for coming on the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you, Gary.